Hello everyone, welcome to How to Read Chinese Poetry video 6. And to those who join us on podcast platform, How to Read Chinese Poetry podcast, episode 40. In the last three videos or podcast episodes, I have explained the tones in modern Middle Chinese, demonstrated how to construct the tonal patterns of regulated quatrains and regulated verse and compare a Shakespearean sonnet with Stufu's famous poem, Spring Scene, to illuminate the different modes of thinking at work behind English and Chinese regulated poetic forms. This and the next three videos and podcast episodes will feature, quote, transcultural performance of Tang poetry, unquote. Today, our guest host, Professor Jonathan Storing of the University of Oklahoma, will delve further into the cultural system that gave rise and later sustained regulated verse writing for over 1,500 years. Without further ado, let's welcome Professor Storing. Over the next two episodes, I'm going to ask a single question. What rhymes with what? And it might seem like a really straightforward question at that, but the answers to this question really laid the groundwork, the foundation of the correlative cosmological system that undergirds both classical Chinese poetics in the Shi, the regulated verse form, as well as many core concepts of classical Chinese philosophy. And at the bedrock, at the center point, the lodestone of these ideas, lie in two Chinese characters, gan, ying. Gan means to stimulate, and ying means to respond, to stimulate and respond, or as I prefer to translate it, interresonance, suggests that the cosmos is filled with interresonant elements, things that exist within continuums of mutual resonance. Not everything resonates with everything equally, but everything does have a frequency that will stimulate and respond to other things, other phenomena that share that mutual resonance. Perhaps the most famous thought experiment, actually it's a physical experiment, was one described in the Chuzi, in the Zhuangzi, and in other important texts of classical Chinese philosophy. And that has us taking a single zither and tuning it to an open tuning and plucking a single string. Now, in another room, a different zither will respond to the first zither's sympathetic resonance, revealing the invisible hand of Gan Ying of interresonance. At the heart of Gan Ying theory as well lies a notion of human agency, that we have the power to discern what is a tong lei, what is a category of mutual resonance, but also not only how to be responsive to them, but responsible for them. And this is why Gan Ying lies at the heart of Confucian moral philosophy, because what well, we are accountable for the stimulus that we put into the world. The more important a person is, 
the more weight their decisions have, the wider the radius, the wider the circumference of their interresonance, the wider the impact of their nature can be. Hence, it's important for those who have power to do the work of self-cultivation so that they can bring the substrate of human consciousness into that interresonant balance and counterbalance that we see clearly in the regulated verse tradition. In this sense, it makes sense that it could be a diagnostic for the imperial examination system. All of these ideas respond to Gan Ying concept. And those things aside, when we think about language, just language, bringing language into order, into a perfect balance and harmony with itself at the level of its code, we're moving from something like meaning, like literature as having meaning, or literature as being beautiful, to something different as well. Literature or poetry can be thought of as good or auspicious. And this is where we will need to think about the ramifications of ganying, of rhyming, semantic rhyming, spiritual rhyming, cosmological rhyming, and phonological rhyming that undergird regulated verse as being something quite distinct from other species of writing around the world. And I think this will become clearer as we go through this episode and the next. In these episodes, we're going to return again to the Tang and Song dynasty. And we're going to explore the birth of Yunxue, rhyme studies. Rhyme studies were an essential piece of the puzzle because you couldn't have regulated verse if the language itself had not been already organized in such a way as to make rhyming objective and fair across the different dialects and languages in the Chinese language system, as well as other languages like Vietnamese, Korean, and Japanese. All of this was possible because of the work of a group of individuals that knew themselves as the Zhiyin, as those who understand sound, those who study and order. Think of them as connoisseurs of syllables that brought them into the proper order according to cosmological ideals, ideals that could be universal and shared among all people. Rhyme studies, therefore, is an important piece of the puzzle. And once we understand how this came about in classical Chinese and Middle Chinese, we can actually apply those same concepts to English. And by doing so, we can actually produce regulated verse in the English language as well, just like other languages, Vietnamese, Korean, and Japanese. So we begin this journey looking at the work of uh, Shen Yue again. We visited him before in previous podcasts. He's the one who first put in place the rhyme pattern of Pinza. Now I'm calling them a rhyme pattern because the way I see it, rhymes actually operate on at least four different layers of constraints that produce what we think of as the regulated verse um, uh, template or form. The first is rhymes as we normally think, but let's say cat and hat, right? These words rhyme in English, but in Chinese, you also have to think about the tone. So first tone cat rhymes with hat, but not hat. So cat and hat are rhyming words because they're both pin, whereas cat and hat are not because hat is read in a fourth tone, which is a shorter vowel than the, than the first tone. So cat longer, hat shorter. Okay. So that Ping and zhe is a different quality that we have to think about when we're rhyming our end rhymes in regulated verse. But we can also think of the ping zhe templates, right? The different 
patterns covered by Cai Zhongqi in the previous episodes is also being a kind of rhyme pattern, rhyming the ping with ping and the zi with zi across both horizontal and vertical vectors in the poem. So this is a kind of interlocking modular verse that requires us to think and compose poetry horizontally and vertically at the same time because there are constraints operating on both, right? And so that's our second kind of rhyming, the pingzo rhyme. The third rhyme has to do with parallelism. And here we have the rhyming of the, uh, of the meaning of words. So in the first line, we might have uh, dark skies, right? Dark skies. And then the next one, we could have gray clouds. Sky and clouds both rhyme in the category of tian, of heaven, right? They're things that are up there. And of course, dark and gray are resonant in their, in their adjectival qualities. And so this would be a unit that would be definitely a resonant unit. But there's another kind of rhyming here as well, which is the grammatical rhyme, because we have an adjective and a noun, an adjective and a noun. That's also necessary for parallelism. So that rhyme is the uh, fourth, right? So we have the end rhyme, we have the pingzo rhyme, we have the semantic rhyme, and then we have the yufa, right? The, the grammar rhyme. All of these need to be there, which means we need a system that is already organized all the language in such a way as to objectively reveal what rhymes with what. If this wasn't the case, then regulated verse would never have been able to become a diagnostic in the imperial examination system. Because here, an examiner would need to know what rhymes with what in order to know that the examinee's poem was standard. And so the question of what rhymes required a new study, to decide upon objective universal rhyme categories, or lei, um, categories of mutual resonance with regard to language. So the first rhyme book used a system called fanxie. Fanxie is just two characters. So we have on the top, the character for the initial. So we have jian, so it's a J sound. On the bottom, we have the, um, called the rhyme, the yunmu, um, the rhyme mother. So the shengmu is the initial, and the yunmu is the rhyme. Now the rhyme here is the ing sound, ying. So we have j and ing, jing. The entering tone, as you might recall, has a T, P, or K ending. And so we can look at an English word with those same endings, and you'll actually hear the difference between the two. So here's the word need. Now, need ends with a D sound, and the D is a voiced consonant. So it's actually doing something called allophonic lengthening, where the vowel is fully pronounced because the end of the word either doesn't have a final consonant at all, like knee, I scraped my knee, that's a long full vowel, or need, that's a long full vowel. But if I put a T at the end, the same effect happens in English that happens in Middle Chinese. We see the vowel clip. So we have neat, neat, need. That is called allophonic clipping, and it happens every time any word, single syllable word, ends in an unvoiced consonant. We have the T here versus the D. On the other side of the screen, you see the four tones. You see that fourth tone, quite short, and of course the rusheng, even a little shorter, is very similar to the shortening we find in English. So English actually has, as it were, phonological rules. The same rules govern both languages. So a ping word, those are the words that end in a voiced consonant, like B, D, G, V, 
Z M N L R J J um M and V. Now the the Z words are the P T K F S H C H S H and unvoiced T H sounds. That gives us a very stable ping and the system for the English language. And it doesn't matter what the vowel is, it just matters what the word ends with. That will determine whether it is ping or zuh. Now let's take a moment to look at the next wave of rhyme technologies that entered China. These are called rhyme tables. This is an example of the Yunjing, the, uh, the first complete rhyme table in the Song Dynasty. Okay, as we open up the Yunjing, the first page is broken into five areas. These are the primary five areas of articulation. For instance, the first one would include the lip initials, so the initial sounds that are made by forming um, between lips. The next is the tongue initials. The next, the molar back dental initials, followed by the front dental initials, and then the throat initials. And then finally, a special category for L and R initials. Now underneath that, we see the voiced and unvoiced category of mutual resonance. So those words that are in the lip sound, for instance, that are clear or unvoiced, those would be along this particular column. Now, the next one would be the voiced one. So a lip voice would be a B sound. A unvoiced would be a P sound. Okay. So on this side, we have the rhyme group. Now, this is the category of resonance that rhymes between words. And these are broken into the ping and z qualities. Now, here we have um, the rhyme group ong. And so, for instance, first tone ong and second tone ong would both be in the ping category. Here you can also see that there are little missing bits uh, represented by circles. Now these represent the words that are not triangulated, so there's not a word between a given initial or rhyme, and in those cases it's just absent. In the uh, Ming Dynasty, some cosmological rhyme scholars attempted to fill those blanks in to create rhyme tables that, that could universally map all human sounds, and beyond that, even the sounds of animals and insects. So rhyme scholarship is really definitely a part of yunxue that is wrapped up in the cosmological principle of discovering the tonglei, the categories of mutual resonance that exist relating human elements, language sounds, to those categories, those larger categories of ganying, of interresonance that exist in the cosmos. Now, I've also created these rhyme tables for the English language. And these were uh, created with uh, woodblock printing presses in 2016 and 17. Of course, there aren't English rhyme tables in the Song Dynasty, but if there had been, it would have used the same fan chia system. And so I've created a number of these English rhyme tables. In these uh, rhyme tables, we can see again the same categories of initial resonance on the horizontal vector, um, here represented by the letters um, in the Roman alphabet, and down down the vertical columns, we see the rhyme categories. Now, here's an example of the completed version. And here's just kind of reading these out, I think will help people who are not um, able to read Chinese to better understand the, the logic of the basic rhyme table construction. So here we have in the, um, in the lip sound category of resonance for initials, um, we have the voiced sound, which is the B lip sound. That's represented by the ba sound. Whereas we have for our vowel, the ah sound, and then we have as a final initial, the s sound, s. 
So because s is unvoiced, it means this will be a z word. And so we have one short vowel. We get bas. Whereas if we have a final initial, sorry, final consonant that's voiced, then we're going to have a ping word. And so in this case, we have the initial resonance category r, r, a, d, rod, which is longer than, um, than bas. Bas is short, z, rod is long. Here you have the one character representing a z rhyme category and the two characters representing the ping category. So it's a little different than the Chinese, but it is nonetheless the same idea. All right, inside these rhyme tables, you will also find wonderful diagrams that continue to relate sound, the sound of human language, to the sound of the cosmos. Here we see the human hand, as in the five phases of yin-yang five-element theory, also the five notes of the pentatonic scale. So one hand represents those, while the other represents the five places of articulation that we already mentioned in the rhyme tables. Now, those on each finger would have the initial sounds that are contained within those five areas. So you can see the correspondence, the symmetry between nature and human speech. Now, I've done the same thing again to the English language. So here we can see on one finger or on one hand the five elements and the five notes of the pentatonic scale. On the other hand are the, the sounds of the English language. So we have, for instance, on the thumb, which is reflective of the shui, of the water element. But on the thumb, we also have the three sounds associated with the lip sounds. So this is the area of articulation of lips. We find M from ma, P from pa, and B from ba. But that is just a start. This is the first step to start to organize the English language such that it can become a foundation for regulated verse as well. So just like uh, Lu Fa Yan did back in 601 AD with the foundation of the first rhyme book, the Chie Yun, we have to do the same thing to English if we're going to make it fair, objective, and cosmologically organized. It's kind of like making one giant regulated verse that includes an entire language. So let me show you how um, how this would look. We're going to enter something. Uh, it is a regulated verse software platform called Jejucheng. So as we enter the space, we see basically the Zhiyin, the community of regulated verse poets in English, who are contributing their regulated verse to the community. We will choose a genre. From this genre, we're going to choose the uh, the regulated verse, or the regulated juju. And from here, we choose a vowel pattern. So in this case, it would be the ping start, seven word, rhyming first line, English juju. So that's the genre. From here, we will look at um, couplets. So in a juju, you have two couplets. Couplets, you have two lines. Lines, you have three units. The units are made up of words. And then the words are organized according to semantic rhyming, grammatical rhyming. We have vowel length rhyming, end rhyming, right? And then another wider rhyming, the rhyming of nature and humanity. As we enter the semantic rhyme table, it is really, it's represented as a map. These are all the different categories. I'll bring it into English. All the different categories that um, stand as the sort of umbrellas under which words can be organized. So the biggest umbrellas would be the human and nature categories. Because a juju or lu shi wants or needs to, uh, to rhyme these two large cosmological domains of existence. So here you have the categories of resonance. Underneath that, 
um, lives a database of 7,500 words that have been tagged, and then you can actually start to see the interresonant connections between them to show that the English monosyllabic vocabulary is now self-aware. It has been um, brought into its interresonance awareness, kind of like the Arya does in the third century when it organizes the Chinese language based on the wood words and the sky words and the water words. If you think about Chinese characters themselves, the radicals, right, the metal radical, um, the human radical, again, you continually find this notion of tonglei, this notion of categories of mutual resonance. And the first dictionary did this. And then later dictionaries, especially in the Ming dynasty, um, were even more ambitious to try to bring all of the words into these um, categories of mutual resonance. So this map merely shows some of those possibilities. Uh, we'll use the map later on. Okay, next we move from the semantic to the uh, grammatical. So here, this is a really interesting map because in this map, we can see the, uh, the fact that single-syllable English works very similarly to Wenyan, to classical Chinese, um, that the, uh, the adjectives and adverbs are also not entirely stable. They live in the liminal spaces between these different categories where they can be multiple things. Take, for instance, the word spring. The spring can be a noun, that is a season. It can be an adjective, like spring day. It can be a verb, like spring into action. And so this is also an important piece of the puzzle because in order to create parallelism, we have to have the rhyme between the lines of, uh, of use, how the words are used. They need to be in the same sequence. Okay, next we have the vowel length, the pinza system. I love this map because until it was fully coded, it wasn't I wasn't sure how many ping and how many tzu existed. There are more ping than there are tzu, as you can see in this map, but not that many more. And it is this serendipity that there's a near even divide that allows us to produce regulated verse in English. Um, there are so many lucky serendipities that allow us to see English and Chinese as these interestingly you know, sister languages, both having this robust vocabulary of monosyllable words, those words operating under the same phonological rules, and the rules bifurcating the language into roughly even portions of ping and zi. It's just a remarkable and wonderful coincidence. All right, rhyme categories. The rhyme categories are the, this would be the, the yunjing. This is the updated rhyme table, but here it's organized in a new fashion. So here we can actually see all the different English rhymes. And you'll notice that some of them are, um, are going to be in white. These are the ping rhymes. All right, so from here, the category of what I'm calling the qingjing resonance category, this one here. And this particular one takes place not at the level of the words, but in the level of the couplets. So the couplets have to resonate with one another. Okay, well, let's go ahead now and go into see how a poem might show that Qing and Jing resonance. So I'm going to go ahead and read this poem first. Mild breeze, thick wheat, dusk spreads gold. Swift brook, thin reeds, dark sets cold. Look up. Calm mind, feel thoughts drift. Who knows just what life dreams hold? Okay, now let's go ahead and look at how the poem comes together and follows those four different layers of rhyming. The pings of words are following the map perfectly. The next is we can see the, um, the rhyme scheme, gold, cold, and hold. All of these are ping. 
and they're all rhyming, which means they're going to be in a shared ping resonance category. Next is the, um, the grammatical and semantic rhyming. Let's take breeze, which is an air, weather, and so on. And over here, we have brook. Now, it wouldn't be clear at first that these are rhyming semantically with one another. One is air, one is water. Um, one is more associated with I said, freshwater streams and creeks, whereas the other one is more grasslands and so on. So that fact that, um, that these both have flowing, right? So if I come back here and click this one, we can see that breeze and brook both have flowing as one of their shared categories of resonance, their tong lei. That would suggest to me that they are resonant, in fact. And that gives us, uh, takes us to the very end, back to the dream, to the community of rhymes. That, I think, is where we'll end it today, knowing that it is possible to extend the community of rhymes across languages using the same basic information structure that undergirded the East Asian cultural sphere, where classical Chinese poetry linked languages as disparate as Chinese, all the hundreds of Chinese dialects and languages with those of Japan, Korea, Vietnam. These are Sino-languages, can produce Sino-poetic forms. And I hope uh, you've seen today that it might very well be possible to make regulated verse in English as well. And in the next episode, we'll be going to England, where I will give a number of different workshops on collecting words and putting them into regulated verse, English verse. And I will build a poem with you. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Let us thank Professor Stalling for his informative and thought-provoking talk. Next week, Professor Stalling will teach us how to compose regulated quatrain in English. Let us meet again on YouTube and Bilibili next week.